I'm so excited to be able to share the word with you this morning. Um, This word is very near and dear to my heart. I love Christmas. Do you guys love Christmas? I didn't know Jesus till I was 26 years old, so for a long time, I celebrated a guy in a red jacket, but now I celebrate a guy that poured out red blood. And... Ever since that took place, I've always been on a mission to, like, redeem the things that I celebrated before I knew Jesus and show people how God can be glorified through them. And what I want to share with you today is one of those things. We're going to be talking about the light in the darkness, the light in the darkness, Jesus, the advent, the arrival of the Messiah. So as we prepare for Christmas, my hope would be that we would celebrate it for the right reasons, That would be to celebrate the birth of Christ, the light conquering the darkness, the gift of eternal life. So I want you to do something for me real quick. I want everyone to close their eyes. And I want you to picture this in your head. Imagine you're in a room. It's completely dark. There's no light. You reach your hand around hoping to feel something, but you can't find anything. You start to feel anxious and nervous as hopelessness sets in. If only you could find the light switch. If only you could find a wall. If only you could grab a hold of something for direction. You can open your eyes. See, it's pretty easy to feel lost, lonely, and broken in a world covered in darkness. Almost like you're stuck in a room without any source of light. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I was terrified of the darkness to the furthest extent, to the point where my mom, she she was kind of ruthless with me and would not give me rides home from friends' houses, so I would have to walk home, but I did not walk home ever because I had to run from streetlight to streetlight, so whatever was in the darkness didn't get me. I got really fast when I was young because of that. So I think for me, when I was a kid, that would have been the most terrifying thing ever, To be in a room, can't find my way out, and it's completely dark. When we look at darkness in the world, we can shake our heads in despair. Fearing the darkness will grow so large that it snuffs out the light. But that's because we have the wrong ideas and we have the wrong mindset to it. Yes, the world is dark, but we have the light. See, Darkness is just the absence of light. To overcome darkness, all we need to do is turn on the light. Even the tiniest flame can cut through darkness. How many of you know that when you go into a dark room and you flip the light switch on, darkness doesn't just hide in a corner? It doesn't have a place to be. Because the light overcomes the darkness. Light is something. Darkness is not. We'll get there soon. The light overcomes the darkness. No matter how black it is, it cannot overcome the light. Praise God. So I want to ask you a question. Show of hands, how many of you have heard that Jesus wasn't really born on December 25th? Okay, cool. (laughs) Cool. That makes me happy. How many of you believe he was born on December 20th? No, don't raise your hand. So what day was it? Now, I'm not going to go too deep into this, but you should read your Bibles and do the study for yourself because it's really fun. 
But I personally believe, and I would submit to you today, that if you go in and you study the story of John the Baptist, that you can get a pretty accurate date of when he was probably born, because his father was a priest of the tribe of Abijah. Abijah would have been in the temple at a certain time of the year, and we have a date from when John the Baptist was born. So what I would submit to you is it's somewhere near more around September. Somewhere around September. But does that matter? I don't think it does. But it was a fun study. What I would like to explain to you is why I believe that this is the perfect time of the year to celebrate the arrival of our Messiah. So I'm going to share a little science that I got off Google. I want to talk about the winter solstice, also known as midwinter. This occurs when one of the Earth's poles has its maximum tilt away from the sun. The winter solstice is the day with the shortest period of daylight and the longest night of the year. When the sun is at its lowest daily maximum elevation in the sky. At the pole, there is continuous darkness or twilight around this time, the winter solstice. The winter solstice has been as a significant time of the year in many cultures. It has been marked by festivals and rituals. It's been marked as the symbolic death and rebirth of the sun. The seasonal significance of the winter solstice is in the reversal of the gradual lengthening of nights and shortening of days. Hear me, church. See, the early church had plenty of good reasons to celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th. It's actually quite fitting that we celebrate the birth of Jesus in the bleak midwinter when the world appears to be sleeping, dying, and dark. The darkest and coldest time of the year. Right then, at that time. We proclaim the turn of history from darkness to light, from coldness to warmth, from death to life. What a beautiful time to celebrate our Messiah. So I want you to think about this. Think about what takes place at this moment in time, naturally in the world, after this point, we see it getting brighter and brighter and brighter. Amen, people? I mean, wow. It's hard waking up and you're like, it's too dark. It's time to sleep longer. You know, Seth, Seth shared something funny last night. He was talking about his son, Jameson. And he puts his son down for a nap, probably around noon. And he wakes up and he goes, where did the sun go? <laughs> That's why I think this is a beautiful time to celebrate that. Now, I really love apologetics. I love to be able to defend my faith. And I hope that this would give you a better defense to why us as Christians celebrate on these days. So what I'd like to do with you today, the main passages of Scripture that we're going to be digging into is Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The reason I chose these two sections of Scripture is to paint a picture not, not only of Jesus, the light of the world, but also the perfect and intricate way that God has interweaving his word and the beautiful story that plays out through the scriptures all the way from the beginning to the end. 
Don't you love that God's word is perfect and whole? So first we're going to read in Genesis chapter 1. This is the beginning of our story and the story of our world. He tells us that in the beginning there was nothing but darkness. And with a simple word, God said, let there be light. Let's read this passage. Will you stand with me for the reading of the word? Starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Stay standing just for a little bit longer, because now we're going to go to the Gospel of John. But before I read it, I want to kind of paint a picture here, because we all know there's four different Gospel accounts. We know that? Okay, cool. There's a couple of us, too. It's <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs> so Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what are called the synoptic Gospels. Pretty much what that means, you can think about it this way. If we're filming a movie right now, and we have multiple camera angles shooting at the same movie, the synoptic gospels. But then we have John's account of the gospels. And he kind of goes a totally different way. And I've asked myself many times, John, why did you do that? And I, what, I, I'm going to explain to you today why I think he did. See, John starts his gospel account differently than the other three with verses that are very reminiscent of the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. He starts with the words, in the beginning. And then shares with us an example of Jesus as the word. Starting his gospel account by telling us that Jesus was all the way at the beginning. Just as we read in Genesis 1 that the Spirit was in the beginning. John, even at that point, is showing us the Trinity of God. Tying the whole narrative together. Also an interesting note is that John also refers to the light that shines in the darkness that we see in Genesis 1. Referring to the light as Jesus himself. So let's read the scripture. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You may be seated. I find this very interesting. How eerily reminiscent these two scriptures are to each other. So I started asking myself questions. I said, Lord, what, what, what did you have John do this for? Why did John write his gospel account so differently than the others? And I felt like what the Lord said to me is that John was not just trying to tell people that the new covenant has been brought, but that this is the fulfillment of all of history. What he was doing is he was saying Jesus isn't something new. Jesus has been and will be and was forever. That all the way back in Genesis 1, he was there. That all the way back in Genesis 1, the Spirit was there. The Trinity of God. So what John is doing is he's saying, yes, Jesus has come. And there is a new covenant of grace and love and mercy. 
But this is nothing new. He had it planned since the first verse in the Bible. So I want to do something. I wouldn't normally do this, but I really felt like the Lord told me to. I want to read these two passages of Scripture together. And you tell me if it seems like it fits. Y'all ready? Starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He was, in the beginning, with God. The Trinity, right there. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day, and the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. <laughs> Almost like God's word is so perfect. Oh, <laughs> Almost as if someone could write something thousands of years before and it can intricately go together to complete the picture. And I believe that's why John starts his account like this. See, the, the other gospel writers are more so telling us the stories of what Jesus did, where John, on the other hand, is sharing why he came and who he truly was. And that's the big difference that I see personally. The light shining in the darkness, just as in the beginning, when Father God created everything, Jesus would do the same thing. For us when he returned. Or when he came. He hasn't returned yet. Praise God. <laughs> yeah. I mean. I don't know if it's good news. but <laughs> verse, I want to I I dive into verse 5 just for a couple minutes. Verse 5 in John says this. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. And I started asking myself, what, what do you mean by this, God? Because I think about me if I'm in school and I didn't comprehend something, which I did very often. It's like I don't understand. Well, what do you mean, God? How, how, how does the darkness not understand? So I, I, I went into the original language in the Greek, and I found this word, and you guys have to know something. It's the first Greek word I've said right. I was very impressed when Seth said it yesterday, and I was like, wow, that's how I said it. <laughs> so the Greek word for comprehend is katalambano. I like to put Spanish accents on Greek. <laughs> it works. It is a great language. So this is what katalambano means. It means to lay hold of. To obtain, to attain to, or to make one's own. To seize upon, to take possession of, 
to detach or to catch, to lay hold of with the mind, to understand, perceive, learn, and comprehend. So, now that we have context of what this word truly means, I would like to read to you what John and God said about the darkness. And the darkness could not lay hold of. And the darkness could not obtain. The darkness could not make one's own. The darkness could not seize upon. It could not take possession of. It could not overtake. It could not detect. It could not catch. It could not understand. It could not perceive. It could not learn. It could not comprehend. What John is saying here is that darkness has already been defeated. And he references all the way back to Genesis 1 and says, look, when I created everything, what did I do? I said, darkness, you have no power. Darkness, you have no authority. And when I bring light into the world, you have no place to hide. Jesus said that he would make his church like a a, a lamp up on a hill that would shine bright. Why? Because darkness cannot defeat the light. It cannot understand. It cannot comprehend. It does not know how to catch or detect what we are doing. We have already won. It is finished. To tell us die. So when you look at our world, it may seem dark. Like somehow the darkness is winning against the light. The problem with this idea is that it doesn't align with God's word. So what does God's word say? I I believe that what the word says is that darkness has only one tool. To hide. To hide the truth as best as it can. Because it knows what happens. When light comes, it cannot combat it. When I turn the lights on in my room, darkness does not hide in a corner. Darkness no longer exists. See, light is something we can observe and study. In essence, it exists. We can study light. Scientists have figured out how fast it moves. On the other hand, darkness is not a something. It doesn't really exist. It is the lack of something. And that is light. The absence of what is good is darkness. I saw an interesting video the other day. And this guy was talking about he, uh, someone came to him and was debating with him of if God created everything, that means he created evil. And he said, what well, his response was is he brought it back to hot and cold. See, cold is just the absence of heat. So it's not that God creates something evil. It's that when the light is not present, there's darkness. That's why the world needs us to shine bright like a light for Jesus. So if you think our nation looks crazy, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, can I tell you what? You are the answer. 
There is no military force stronger than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the light that we bring defeats any enemy. But it's up to us. It's up to us to accept that call. To be a light for our city. See, Jesus already came and brought the light. But he left and gave it to you. What are you doing with it? So if you're worried about how dark the world may seem, I would submit to you today, it might be a little bit of our fault. (laughs) Because God came in a bod, stood in our place, brought the light, and said, here, take it, it's yours. Wow. See, just like light and darkness... There's, there's cold and heat. And I don't know if you know this, but cold can't defeat heat. Just as light can't defeat darkness. That's why it's so important that we're a light to the world, but we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we're on fire for God. We are a double-edged sword. The darkness cannot defeat us. The cold cannot defeat us. God has given us all the power. Simply said, darkness has already lost. Already lost. There's no getting around it. There's no way that he can win. All he can do is hide from the light. All the enemy can do is hide and deceive and try to cover the truth. But when things are brought into the light, God can do what only he can do. Change the world. Change hearts. Change lives. That's why he says, confess our sins one to another. Because when we bring the darkness into the light, it's defeated. So in closing, I want to read another passage in John. This is a little later in the scripture, starting in verse 9. And it says this. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, this is what I want you to catch, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So I ask you today, have you received the light? Have you made the greatest decision that you can possibly make to no longer be born of the flesh, but to be born of the Spirit. To be filled and made new. Can I tell you something, people? If you would have met me seven years ago, you would never think I'd be standing on a stage preaching the word to you. Because seven years ago, I was sitting in a chair, strung out on heroin in the midst of a gathering. And on an Easter Sunday, I finally let the light in. And can I tell you what the light did? It destroyed all the darkness. And it redeemed everything. But it, it, it took a moment. 
where I had to relinquish control. I had to let go and let God do what I knew he was going to do. I had to trust in his word. I had to make him the king of my heart. I had to realize that I was broken and separated from him. And that the only way to be joined back with him was to repent. To humble myself and say, God, I need you. So I ask you today, church, have you received the light? Or have you just been coming to church, checking off your box? Maybe you're here for the first time and you've never heard this gospel. Well, I tell you, it's the greatest gift that's ever been given to humanity. The gift of eternal life. And the best part is, it's free. You don't have to do anything. You couldn't do anything to earn it. He's so good that he would step out of heaven, take on flesh, be punished for what you've done wrong, and then extend grace and mercy to you. So I ask you today, church, have you received the light, the greatest gift humanity was ever given?